Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Azarin the Language Nerd here. I'm the owner of the Calgary Language Nerds and welcome to today's podcast episode. Today I would like to talk about one of my favorite language learning strategies. This is something that I've done for about 25 years. In case you didn't know, I've been learning lo- I've been learning languages almost my entire life. I grew up with two languages, they're English and Gujarati. English is what I spoke with people outside of my family. Gujarati is what I spoke with people in my family. And then at the age of five, I went to a French immersion school. A French immersion school, what it means is you do your education primarily in French instead of in English. Because I live in Calgary, which is an English-speaking city. But the, the bulk of my education, math class, social studies, science, everything was taught in French instead of in English. And I did that from the age of five until the age of 18. And then from 18 to 22, I did a French and Spanish degree. So I continued my French studies after that. And of course, I speak other languages as well, which we don't need to get into in today's podcast. But long story short, I've been learning languages almost my whole life. And I've had countless instructors, whether they're tutors, teachers in school, whatever it is, give me lots of different writing assignments. Now, the writing assignments could have been literally about any topic under the sun. I have written about my family. I've written about my likes. I've written about my hobbies. I've written about my dislikes. I've written about what I would do if I was president or prime minister. I've written about what I would do if I met an alien. I've I've written about uh, I've written letters to fake cities to complain about the garbage disposal uh, service being canceled and why that makes me mad. I've written 25-page argumentative essays in different languages, French and Spanish primarily, about such and such literary work. I've written about every topic under the sun. <laughs> okay? And because writing has always been a part of my life when it comes to learning languages, I've taken for granted what a useful practice it is for people to write in their target languages or their target language if you're only learning one language. And that's what I want to talk about. Writing is such a useful practice for people that are learning another language. It makes you more articulate. It helps you practice the words that you've been recently learning. It helps you practice the grammar and implement the grammar you've recently been learning. It helps you organize your thoughts about important topics, which we're going to get into a little bit later today, by the way. It um, it makes you think, makes you learn new words possibly, because you might have to look in a dictionary to look up words that you didn't know in order to write about the topic you wanted to write about. So I'm a big fan of writing. All Virtually all my students, virtually all, let's say the majority of Calgary language nerd students, whether I'm their tutor or someone else, almost all of them have some kind of writing assignment every week. One of the coolest things about it, this has nothing to do with language learning, one of the coolest side effects of having my students write, I typically see this with my longer term students, is it transforms who they are as a person. They become a different person over time. And it it happens because of their writing, actually. It's a big part of why it happens. When you write about different topics and you have someone edit your writing, ask you about sentences that don't make sense, make you clarify it, look at the grammar, make it sound better, rework the sentences to be more logical, get your point across more clearly. You have to actually sit down and try to articulate yourself 
in a way, in the written form that someone else will understand. That whole writing process changes your brain. What it makes you do is it makes you organize your thoughts on different topics. So you consciously understand what you believe about specific topics. Whereas most of the things that we uh, believe about different topics are actually not that conscious. We believe, we believe it unconsciously, but we don't have a clearly articulated belief of what we believe about the topic. So if you heard that, uh, that cliche where people say, uh, if everyone jumps off a cliff, would you jump off the cliff? And the right answer, of course, is no. But the reality is most of us probably would jump off that cliff. And the reason is that, metaphorically speaking, we don't have a clearly articulated reason in our conscious mind as to why we shouldn't jump off that cliff. Does that make sense to you? So when you write about different topics and you do that and you get into a habit of doing that and you have people edit your writing, they read it, they ask you about things they don't understand, it makes you a more articulate person who has a conscious understanding of the things that they believe on various different topics. And of course, the more advanced you get, the more you can start to write about topics that are actually important to you. Whereas when you're a beginner, you might write about simpler topics. Although I will say that even for me anyway, I've gotten super into and invested in simple topics, and I still feel very proud of myself. And it was still a very effective exercise to write about that simple topic. I remember in high school, I wrote about my family in my beginner Spanish class. It took me about two hours to write a single paragraph to say like, I have a younger sister. Her name is this, blah, 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 blah. But it was still very meaningful for me because after two hours, I put hard work into that paragraph and I really gave it my all. Does that make sense? So writing's huge. I'm a big fan of people writing in their target language. Now let's go through some guidelines of how you can make sure you're successful, not successful, how to make sure you, you learn as much as you can, you maximize the benefits of doing writing in another language. So first of all, think about who your audience is. Most of you, the audience is going to be yourself. You're writing for personal reasons, but some of you may choose to start a little blog. You may actually write for others and you may find that far more meaningful. Next, you want to decide what to write about. You probably want to write about something that you are currently learning in that language. So if you're learning about family in the target language, you want to write about family. If you're using an app and the app has got you on the unit where you are learning about the past tense, you want to write some past tense topics in your writing. Write about what you did yesterday, one of your favorite trips in the past, so on and so forth. It's a good general rule of thumb to follow. When you're writing, you do not want to use any translators. I want you to pretend you're writing in a pre-internet age initially. So you can only use dictionaries, becherelles uh, if you're learning French, like conjugation books that show you the conjugations. Pretend it's the pre-internet age when you write initially. It makes your brain work way harder and it's better for you, better for your progress. Once you have the best possible first draft, then you can start to use translators and online resources to figure out how you could have written it better. If you have a tutor or something like that, you definitely want to review your writing with your tutor and correct it, get feedback, look at it together, figure out how you could have articulated yourself better and more clearly. 
eh, who, what, where, when. Uh, sorry, who, what, where, who, what, where. Where do you write? Well, you want to write in a book, notebook, or you can write on your computer. Make sure you're in a quiet environment with no distractions so that you can be fully focused on the writing. You probably want to write for at least 10 to 15 minutes. That's already plenty. But if you want to do more, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, when to write, you want to make sure you find a time of day that is right for you, where your brain is alert. So maybe that's the mornings, maybe it's afternoons, maybe it's evenings, nights, weekends, you get to pick. We've already talked about why to write. Makes you more articulate, helps you practice grammar, helps you practice phrases and vocabulary you've learned, really helps you apply your knowledge. Um, who, what, where, when, why, how? Well, I guess we've sort of talked a lot about the how. I don't think we need to talk more about that. Now, on the topic of writing, I want to transition a little bit to something that is meaningful to me and something that I've realized that I view very differently than perhaps many other people. So as you know, I journal. I've been journaling recently, and I've been reading, reading, journaling, and meditating recently. So because of this, I actually carry my notebook where I write my journaling in, and I often carry a book with me. Not everywhere I go, but frequently I have it with me in my hands. So when I meet people, they ask me, oh, what are you reading? What do you write about in your book? What do you journal about? And we, we discuss it. And I've met other people that have tried journaling. They, they do it maybe. And I've noticed a lot of people view journaling as venting on paper. They vent. They take all the thoughts in their brain and they throw it out on paper. I don't think there's any, anything necessarily wrong with that. That's probably just a different style. But that's not at all what I do when I journal. When I journal, I use it as a problem-solving exercise. I've said this before, but I want to go more in detail because, excuse me, I think a lot of people don't, I think a lot of people are not very good at problem solving. Something I learned at the window cleaning franchise I used to uh, operate, uh, one of the things that they would teach us is problem solving. And it was a skill that we could uh, actually get certified in, an internal certification, which is really cool. And so we did lots of problem solving to solve business problems. And so I got a lot of practice with it. So when I write, here's the process I follow. And I think this is something you guys can start to do as well. And I think you'll see a lot of benefits if you do this. It's a lot of work, but it's meaningful. And for me anyway, it's changed my life. I've done it for 12 years, something like that. Yeah, something like 12 years I've done this. But I've been doing it daily for the past five, six months. And it's absolutely transformed my life. So here's what I do. First of all, I identify a problem. I identify something that isn't quite right in my life. Something that's bothering me. So for example, I'll just flip back in my book a little bit here. And I'll share something a little bit personal. But to make the example, I'll share it with you. So as you guys know, um, I'll give some background before I share. As you guys know, I live... Uh, I, I live with my mom and my sister. Now my sister is disabled. She's 27, but she's basically a two-year-old. I am one of her guardians. So I look after my sister and my mom look at, looks after my sister. My father passed away and wasn't, even before he passed away, he wasn't involved in our lives. So I've basically been dad, in a sense, my whole life in a way, 
but officially since I was 18. I signed the guardianship papers when I was 18. Now, I live at home. I help with looking after my sister. Um, I am saving to move out, and we're trying to figure that out because when I move out, it I can't just move out. I have There's a lot of requirements for my sister of where I move out. When I move out, my sister comes with me at least part-time. She'll probably be with me Monday through Thursday or Monday through Friday and then with mom on the weekend, something like that. And there's just very specific requirements required for my sister. And so I can't just go to an apartment. I can't have roommates. I probably can't rent somewhere. I can't get an attached home. I very likely have to buy a home that me and my sister can live in. I'm also debt averse. I don't like big mortgages, things like that. Um, and so, you know, I'm just in a position where I have to stay at home and it's, a, it's just better to stay at home, long story short. Okay. And um, one of the things that was bothering me is I feel like I'm not taking on enough responsibility in the house. Cleaning, chores, enough with my sister and looking after her. My mom is doing too much for my liking. And I was writing about that. So I first, I identified the problem in my book. Next, I identified why do I even think this is a problem? Like, why is this a problem now? What's the issue? Okay, because you can say this is a problem, but you need to figure out why you feel like that's a problem. Because someone else might not feel like that's a problem if they were in my shoes, but clearly it's bothering me. So I need to establish why it's bothering me. So that's the next thing you do, right? So once you've done that, you have a good understanding of what the problem is. You understand it. You fleshed it out. Step three is you want to essentially identify what would the benefits be if you weren't in this current situation. So in my case, I thought, okay, well, if I was taking on more responsibility in the house, what would the benefits be? So I wrote, I wrote them down. Number one, my sister's well-being. I could avoid her from suffering in the future by being responsible for her fitness and nutrition. Because if she's not fit and not in good, have good nutrition, she's going to have health problems and that's going to be a nightmare for me, my mom, and my sister. It'll just be really tough. My sister's nonverbal. So that's scary when someone's not verbal. What that means is um, they don't talk. So if they're in pain, they can't tell you. There's no way to tell you if they're in pain. And worse than that, Maybe you can read, oh, they're in pain. She's in pain because she's crying, but you don't know where she's in pain and she can't tell you. Could be a headache, could be a stomachache, could be a twisted knee. You have no, could be a cavity. You have no idea. So it's incredibly important to keep her in good health and fitness and such because any issues are very difficult to figure out what the issue is. That's a burden if you ever... If you, if you want to pick a burden, that's a real burden, right? So I thought to myself, well, that's a really good reason to take responsibility, proper responsibility for my sister's health and nutrition. Sorry, health and nutrition and fitness. I can do that. I can do more there. That's a good reason. Number two is my own, my mom's well-being. I fleshed that reason out. Number three is personal growth. Uh, I fleshed that reason out. There's various reasons why it excites me to be able to grow personally to do that because I would need to grow personally. I need to figure out how do I carve out the time to do that? How do I take on, because I don't want to take on basically every responsibility in the house or most of them. So I was like, that's a lot of extra things on my plate. I still got to work. I still got to do this and see friends. And how does that fit? So I grow personally to do that. And I wrote down all the different reasons, all the different benefits that there would be if 
I were to improve the situation. Next, so step four, you write down exactly what steps you can start to take to improve the situation. Now, in many cases, you're not going to know. In many cases, you're like, I don't really know what I can do. In this case, in my case, well, even in my case, actually, I don't exactly know what steps I probably need to take because some things are easy. Vacuum the house more often or wash the dishes faster or, or sorry, more often or blah, 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 blah. There's things like that that are really easy. But with my sister's health and fitness, nutrition, that's a bit trickier. She has mobility issues. I don't know what her fitness challenges are. I don't know exactly how to explain exercises to her because I have to make her do the exercise, but she won't just do it. So how do I break it down? How do I make her do cardio because her mobility issues? How do you do that? Like, it's a really complex problem. I don't actually know what the solution is. So then you got to start to make a list of what are the things you think might solve the problem. And you go, okay, I can do this. I can do that. I can do this. I can do that. Okay. And you got a list. Next, what you want to do, step five, is that right? You want to write down potential pitfalls of what, of what might go wrong and what might get in the way of you trying to tackle and solve this problem. And you write those down. And you write down what you do if those situations arise. And then off you go. You start slowly but surely doing the things you wrote down in your journal of here's what I think I'm going to do. Okay, let me go do that now. Let me try it. Let me see what happens. And then you're going to have to reevaluate because, listen, we're, we don't, we're, we're not perfect. And so the plan that you made, the things you thought you could do to make things better may or may not work. Very likely, they're going to kind of work in some ways and kind of not work in others. So you'll do it and you'll see some positive benefits, but there's going to be some downsides that you just didn't foresee or things that didn't work out that you didn't foresee. So then you start the whole process again. Step one, what's the problem? What do you feel you could set right? So you might say, well, I, am I, I might say, I thought my sister could do a cardio workout. We can do it in front of YouTube together. But then I realized my sister had no balance and she couldn't stand on, she couldn't do half the exercises. Crap. Well, I didn't think of that. Why is that a problem? What's well, a problem? Because she's not getting any exercise. She's not getting cardio. In fact, I'm getting more cardio trying to make her limbs move around and I'm getting more tired than she is. And she just thinks it's funny. It's like, oh my God, that's not good. Okay, well... If I could improve the situation, why would that be better? Well, it'd be better because I wouldn't have my arm hurting today. Good Lord. Okay, well, what could I possibly do? I could possibly do da 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 Okay, well, if I do those, what are some pitfalls? da 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 Okay, I can try and avoid those. Here's what I do in those pitfalls. Okay, boom, let's go and try again. Rinse and repeat. I do this for so many problems in my life. I do it for so many problems every day. I probably journal for like an hour a day or something like that. Maybe not an hour at one sitting, but throughout the day, it might be an hour. So that's what journaling means to me. I don't think people treat journaling that way. And I think people, more people should consider journaling in that kind of way. Anyway, I don't really have anything else I'd like to share. So I guess we can wrap this up. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye.